Welcome to Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. He is John Schmelke. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. You can also interact with the two of us on Twitter. Hashtag Giants Chat. We're going to get to your phone calls. We'll get to your tweets. We are now transitioning from the draft back into the offseason program for the Giants. They're going to have rookie minicamp coming up as well, but we'll get into the draft because NFL.com, John, has put out some of its rankings, which a lot of people like to make sense of the ins and outs of which teams walk away with winnings, even though we haven't seen any of these guys on the field yet. I would say uh, projected winning. Projected winning. I think that's a fair classification, but one in particular up on NFL.com has the Giants ranked number one and coincidentally has the Cowboys as number two, so they're very fond of two NFC East teams. And the rationale for why the Giants are number one is great value with Will Hernandez at number two, and Saquon Barkley's a given, so it's not as if we really need to get into that. They like the Lorenzo Carter selection, saying a mega-athlete who flashed his senior year was great value in round three. Not that high on the Kyle Oletta pick in round four, but... They note that many people do believe he could very well become a starter in the league. That's Lance Zierlein's rankings. They have another yep. one um, that's done by a couple guys, and I'm really not that familiar with that uh, there for NFL.com. This was done by uh, Gennaro Felici and Nick Shook. They have the Giants ranked number nine in their group, and it kind of you know goes back to the same discussion that we've had about the draft leading up to it, and and with, and with some callers too after the draft was over, whether or not they made the made the right decision in not trying to secure your future at the quarterback position above all else, especially for a running back, and that's something that's kind of been a question mark um, moving forward uh, in terms of their analysis. They have the Giants at number nine um, in their ranking. They have. The Bears as the top draft in the league, which I actually happen to really like the Bears draft myself. I would agree. Uh, they got Roquan Smith in the first round, which I thought was an excellent pick. James Daniel in round two, who I had as a first-round talent. Anthony Miller was my third-best wide receiver on the board, and I didn't have him that far behind Ridley and Moore. And those are their first three players. So uh, I really like their draft. Uh, they also had the Cowboys at two, so very similar to your to your list as well. Um, I think people really like the Connor Williams pick in round number two as a starting offensive lineman. That seems to be what swayed people. And Michael Gallup in round three people seem to like as well. Thought could have been a second-round talent. Uh, they have the Cardinals at three. And, again, we've talked about them before. They were able to get Josh Rosen without giving up a whole lot, which is something I think people really liked. And then the other teams are teams that you're not surprised by. The Packers traded down, got the extra pick, still got two Good starting value. corners. Yeah. Uh, Bradley Chubb fell to the Broncos. Uh, the Falcons, I think both of us like their draft with Calvin Ridley and Isaiah Oliver. Um, Where do they have Indianapolis? Because you're continuing to scroll down. I haven't seen them. Ten. Wow. I'm surprised they're that low for this one because here they're third. See, And, and it, I thought they did great in terms of their first two selections. I thought they did okay. But honestly, I thought Darius Leonard was a little high at 36. I didn't think he was the top of a second-round talent. And, I'm, and you know what? They picked Braden Smith with James Daniels still on the board. So to me, I think they got an inferior player. That's why I'm, I love Quentin Nelson. I think he's a great value at six. But I, I don't know. I think you could have found a better player at 36 and 37 than Leonard and Smith. They passed on a lot of the really good running backs that are still left up on the board. Well, they got Hines, who could be a, a sneaky not complimentary every, back. Well, not an every down be, back. But, you know, I, I think, you know, Indianapolis over the last few years has sort of utilized a variety of guys. And I would yeah, not well. That would be. Well, listen, Frank Gore actually <laughs> ran the ball effectively he's over the last fine. few seasons. Believe it or not. He's fine, but he's, he's, no, he's, he's not, an average I mean, run-of-the-mill running yeah, back. Whatever. He's they, not a listen, guy that's going to help you. Their offensive line, though, was a mess. If they didn't address the offensive line, it makes no difference who they drafted at the running back position. I it agree starts with that. there. Well, let me ask you this. Would you have been happier if they picked Connor Williams with one of those two picks? I would have been fine. I think Connor Williams is Connor a better Williams. player than both Darius Leonard and with and uh, Braden Smith. I think James Daniels is, too, to be quite honest with you. I, I mean, with Connor, I think there was just a concern about the health and then also whether or not he's going to be a guard or a tackle at the next level. Yeah, and the corners that were left, I think Isaiah Oliver and Joshua Jackson were both left on the board for the picks they selected Darius Leonard. I think those two guys are both better players than Leonard. That's why, look, they got a lot of picks and a lot of good players. I like Kamoko Torre. I thought that was a good pick. Uh, at 64, Taekwon Lewis, eh, I think it will be solid, but I don't think he's anything special. But I understand why, you, I, in my opinion, why you wouldn't have them in the uh, top three or four. And here's one thing that surprised me, Lance, and you have the Ravens there at number five on Zierlein's list. And I, I have them at number seven on the list I'm looking at here. And that, to me, surprises me. Because, quite honestly, Hayden Hurst with the 25th overall pick, I don't like the selection. 
Um, I thought they were. I can list all the players I just listed for the Colts at the top of the second round, and I oh, think yeah. they're all better than Hayden Hurst. He's a 24, 25 year old tight end who played baseball. Um, I like Lamar Jackson at 32. I thought that that was, that was pretty good value. And then Orlando Brown around three, I think, was fine. But then they drafted another tight end in the third round. So you're doubling up on the position in a draft where I think people thought it was a pretty weak tight end class, generally speaking. So I, I think people love the draft because of Lamar Jackson, and I get that. But the two tight ends there, I'm not not a huge fan, i got to be honest. No, I'm with you. I think they could have went in a different direction in that first round, that first of the first-round picks with the tight end spot. Baltimore loves its tight ends as its offense if you go back over the last few years. But let's face it, Baltimore really hasn't had a big name at the tight end position, and they've still been productive. I remember they had Benjamin Watson, and then he got hurt, and he was putting up some decent plays. And they've rotated a variety of guys. I just I don't understand the urgency of them needing to use a first-round pick on a tight end. Right. That's what I don't understand. Now, there's no way to go into the future and know you're going to be able to get Mark Andrews in round three. So maybe that was their rationale. They didn't know he would be there. But you're telling me you wouldn't like this draft a whole lot more, and I'm saying this rhetorically, I know you would, if you had Calvin Ridley at 25 instead of Hayden Hurst. Of course. And Ridley yeah. went at 26 to the Falcons. So I would look at it this way. I would be... Blown away, shocked, I can't believe what I'm seeing if Hayden Hurst has a better NFL career than Calvin Ridley. And the one knock on Calvin Ridley is that he was an older prospect. They found a guy that's older. (laughs) They managed to one-up Ridley. Yeah, And wide receiver was a need for Baltimore. And great value with Ridley still on the board. So something about Hurst, I hope for her sake and I hope for the Ravens' sake that he is one of the best combo tight ends over the next yeah. five years in the league because they're going to need him to come to fruition that way. Speaking of which, uh, do you think Des Bryant's regretting turning down the Ravens' three-year, the reported, excuse Multi-year me, three-year yeah. $20 million contract that they offered him and now nobody, he can't get a nip anywhere after the draft? That's why you got to be careful what you wish for. Yeesh. Though Baltimore could very well turn around and give him maybe a two-year deal or a one-year deal. I mean, I know the rumors were that Dez wants a one-year deal to sort of prove himself and then maybe cash in following this season. But what's going to happen is somebody's going to get hurt, not that we wish it upon anybody. There's going to be a wide receiver that gets banged up. Happens every year. And then all of a sudden the market for Dez is going to increase a little. That doesn't mean he's going to get a three- or a four-year deal. But if all he's looking for is a one-year deal, John – I find it hard to believe that no team is going to come knocking on. I door. agree, and don't call up and say the Giants. We've answered that question a million times. Okay, um, real quick before we get to the calls here, Lance. Um, minicamp, you mentioned it coming up this weekend. We get to see everybody here, and and this is kind of a fun mini minicamp. You know, just like last year's was because Davis Webb was here. We get to see Kyle Oletta throw the football, which is always fun. Rookie minicamp is always more fun when you have a quarterback you can pay attention to that matters. And you know, it's funny. I guess just to see Saquon Barkley move around, there's really no contact, no tackling, so you can't really judge running backs. To me, Lance, one of the toughest positions to judge in practice is running back. I have a real hard time. You know, you see the athleticism, but the skill of playing the position is such a contact-driven position that it's hard for me to really judge, you know, how good he's going to be based on what's going on in the non-contact practice. But it should be a fun rookie minicamp, especially with those two guys leading the way. And you'll see a little bit from the offensive and defensive line. But again, the lack of contact, you're not going to, get, you're not going to see Will Hernandez drive a bunch no. of these undrafted rookies into the, you know, pancake him into the ground or anything. So it's going to be hard to see what's going on up front, but it'll be fun with the running back and the quarterback. Well, with the offensive line, I'm always curious just where the guys are lining up. I, I think that's one of the biggest takeaways, and not just from the rookie minicamp, but when the Giants yeah. as a roster work together as a team you know just where they're lining up going through the motions clearly the classroom work which we're not seeing is extremely important for these coaches to evaluate these offensive linemen and the same thing with the running backs because they can at least show a play on film and determine okay if the pass rusher comes from this side who's your responsibility did you anticipate it correctly those are the types of things that I think running backs and offensive linemen get the most out of during this period of time, how quickly maybe Barkley comes off the line yeah, pass in terms of running his routes, pass protection, all those things I, I think you can learn something from, but I'm with you. You're not going to see how physical they are. You're not going to see them move defensive linemen. You're not going to see how much they can get out of tackles. But to me, I still think if you're a player that 
puts full effort into it, you can take something out of it. It's just a matter of you got to be motivated knowing that you're not going to be able to hit anybody. But I would say most of these vets, at least who have been through this multiple times, this is not their first rodeo. So I, I think they've gotten it to the point where they understand the rules and regulations surrounding the OTA period. Well, remember, the vets, yes. Yeah, rookies, not so no, much. No, but what I'm saying is when right. they get together as a team of course. and you're looking at everybody as a group, I think most of these guys have been through that. All right, let's open up the phone line. Two zero one nine three nine four five one three hashtag Giants chat. I want to warn people, yes. by the way, I might have to jump out at some point here. We have a couple interviews we're trying to get done with players that are trying to leave the building, so I might have to do a you if, have to if chase you see, them down. If you see me disappear at some point <laughs> and I'm looking at my phone, that's why. I just want to warn people ahead of time. Balancing multiple tests yes. at once during Always. the course of Big Blue Kickoff Live. All right, let's try to balance the phone calls. Travis is in Queens. Travis, what's happening? Hey, fellas, how you guys doing? Doing all right, Travis. What's on your mind? All right. I'm not, I just want to talk about, uh, I was mentioning uh, uh, with you a little bit uh, a few weeks ago, Lance, about the draft. And I just want to, you know, like, you know, like let fans know that, you know, the fans that are, are really, you know, upset about the quarterback situation um, is that, like, I do think we're missing a picture is that it's a bigger testament, you know, to Eli's, to Eli Manning, his durability. And I don't really think it had too much to do with Webb more so. I think it more so had to do with uh, Eli. And, and I do think, let's say if let's say if Eli was Ben Roethlisberger, right? I think the Giants, uh, uh, let's just switch the whole team. And the Steelers went 3-13, and 13, you know. And then I think that, you know, for, for you take the value pick, over the best player, and then you go court, and you go quarterback. Yeah, but what does that mean? Value pick over the best player. Dave Gettleman believes the best player gives you the best value. So in his mind, and I think you missed the most important part there, Travis. The reason Dave Gettleman selected Saquon Barkley is not because of Davis Webb. It's not because of Eli Manning. He drafted Saquon Barkley because he believed he was a significantly better player than the quarterbacks that were available at first overall, at second right. overall part. Right, but what I'm saying, but, but you guys don't value running backs. Like, so what I'm saying is, Dave Gettleman if, does. No, of course he does. Right. That's why he went him. But I'm just saying, far as the fans' belief and concern as to you know being upset, I'm, what I'm saying is, I think, I think if the Steelers, let's say the Steelers was in our position, I and 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 you was drafting. I think you will go. I think going quarterback make more sense. Well, but why? Going... Just out of curiosity, why does it make more sense for the Steelers with Ben Roethlisberger at number two to go quarterback because, because of Le'Veon Bell, or is there some other factor? No, because because of the fact that well, right. I'm sorry to take off Le'Veon Bell, uh, but but the reason why is because Eli's more durable than Roethlisberger. Now, of course, we know tomorrow, you know, anything can happen. But as far as history has proven with the two of them. Eli is more, you know, uh, so he's more durable. And then plus two, uh, you know, far as right now, if you was to uh, uh, take a take a bet on who would break down quicker or, or who's breaking down, it would be Roethlisberger over Eli Manning. So to secure your long-term uh, plan, you would go quarterback with that, uh, you know, with that number two pick. Yeah, Travis, I, mean, I, I hear you, but I, I got to be honest. Uh, if Ben, if Eli Manning had Ben Roethlisberger's injury history, I think Dave Gettleman would have done the same exact thing. I don't think he would have changed what he did because that was his view of the quarterback. In and again, I'm not saying Dave Gettleman thought the quarterbacks were bad. I think I just don't think he had them valued as as, as highly as he did Saquon Barkley. All right, Travis, appreciate the phone call. The other thing I'll throw out there, I'll be back in five. You'll minutes, be back, guys. okay. Have fun. We will miss you tremendously. No, you won't. Yes. Well, I was trying to be nice. But anyway, going back to Travis's point with respect to what the Steelers would do, which I think is an interesting discussion. I mean, they did have a first-round pick, and they could have taken Lamar Jackson in round number one. Now, I don't know necessarily how they valued Lamar Jackson, but you know, nothing was preventing them this year from taking a quarterback, knowing that Ben Roethlisberger has sort of put some whispers out there that he may be contemplating retirement. Now, he just did a recent radio interview that said he wants to play three to four more years, and the Steelers 
took Mason Rudolph in the third round, and they took Joshua Dobbs in the fourth round last year. And I brought this up on previous editions of BBKL. To me, the Steelers and the Giants have adopted the same philosophy. They see both of their quarterbacks are getting up there in age. Eli, I agree 100% with the last caller, much more durable than Ben Roethlisberger. Roethlisberger, believe it or not, if you look over his numbers, Big Ben has only played the full 16-game slate three times in his career. So Pittsburgh, much more so than the Giants, has had to turn to somebody. That doesn't mean that Roethlisberger is missing three to four games every single year, but they've had to turn to Tommy Maddox. They've had to turn to Charlie Batch. They've had to turn to Landry Jones. So they're at the point where... I don't know if necessarily the urgency for the Steelers is to find Ben Roethlisberger's successor. It's more in the event Ben misses two to three games, do we have somebody that we feel we could put out there and is going to help us win football games? Now, if you're the Giants, you can't take that for granted, that Eli's automatically going to go out for the remainder of his career and play all 16 games. But there is, I think, a little bit more confidence that given Eli's track record, he's going to be out there for 16. You feel good about penciling that in. Whereas with Ben Roethlisberger, perhaps a little bit different. But once again... I still think it goes back to value. If the Steelers were at number two and they looked at all of their options and they didn't think that Darnold or Rosen was of equal value to, let's say, Bradley Chubb or Saquon Barkley, then in all likelihood they're going to take Chubb or Barkley, even if they have Le'Veon Bell or even if you feel they're in a good position on the defensive line. And that's exactly how the Giants looked at it. I, I will stand by this statement no matter the team. You don't take a quarterback for the sake of taking a quarterback, no matter what your team's need is, no matter what your team's urgency is. Because if you don't feel that that quarterback is equivalent to the value of the second overall pick, then you're reaching. And if you reach, it's going to then wind up coming back to bite you because you probably passed up on another player that could have very well had a better impact on your team. So the Steelers have to look at it the same way the Giants did because you're at the point where you got to start thinking about the successor But the urgency is not overwhelming where you need the successor today. You may need the successor a year from now. You may need the successor three years from now. I mean, it's a guessing game with respect to the Steelers and the Giants. Because personally, I think Ben Roethlisberger and Eli Manning are still very productive quarterbacks. And if you give both of them the necessary talent pool around them, there's no reason why they can't be productive, run your offense, and help you win football games. And I would say the same thing for Phillip Rivers. I think all three of those teams should be starting to think about the successor. But I don't think that any team is all of a sudden in panic mode where, hey, you know, there's a chance that we're not going to be with this quarterback five games into the season. or We're not going to be with this quarterback after this season. I, I don't think any of those teams are that urgent. But the positive is, if you're the Giants and you say to yourself, we've drafted Davis Webb and we've drafted Kyle Oletta in each of the last two seasons, and Even in an ideal circumstance, if Eli Manning plays three more years, by the time those contracts are set to expire, there's a very good chance that Kyle Laletta could take over as the starter. You evaluate him with a number of regular season games before his rookie contract expires, and then you determine what you want to do, whether or not you want to pursue a free agent, whether or not you want to make a trade, or whether or not you want to give him an extension and he's going to be the quarterback in the short term. So... The good news of having some young quarterbacks on the roster well before their rookie contracts expire, there's a possibility that one of these two players, Webb or Loletta, could very well be in regular season games before their rookie contracts expire in the wake of Eli Manning retiring. I think there's a chance. And the Steelers are thinking the same way. There's a good chance Dobbs or Rudolph is probably going to get on the field if Ben Roethlisberger only plays three more years because they just drafted Rudolph. He's going to get a four-year contract. He's not going to have the fifth-year option, meaning they will have to give him a new contract by that time that the base of the rookie deal expires. But if he only plays three more years, Roethlisberger, Rudolph, you figure, could very well get on the field in that fourth year and he would still be under his rookie contract. So it could work out to the benefit of both of those teams, assuming that the quarterback retires within that four-year window. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. Let's head back to the lines. we got Jason in Maine on the line. Jason, what's happening? Hey, Lance, how you doing? I'm doing all right, Jason. What do you got for us? Um, I just want to say I like what the Giants are doing. Actually, I love what the Giants are doing so far. But uh, one thing I'm concerned about is the wide receiver position because we don't know how well Odell's going to do after the injury. And... Uh, so I, I was just wondering, as far as you guys are concerned, are you guys concerned about that wide receiver position? And um, 
wondering who's out there for free agents, and uh, see if you can remember all these. <laughs> and the third <laughs> one is I was wondering what you think of Decker or Pryor from the Redskins, possibly. Terrell Pryor you're referring to. Now, I may be mistaken. I thought Terrell Pryor was picked up by another team. Yeah, he signed with the Jets. Oh, okay. So Terrell Pryor is not on the free agent market. I, I distinctly remember him signing, so he's not available. Decker was toying with retirement earlier this offseason. He is still available. I mean, Decker is the ideal veteran, to answer your question, Jason, that if you went to Decker, and first of all, you probably could bring him in at the beginning of training camp. I don't think it's going to hurt you. And you said, hey, you know, Eric, we want you to come in. We want you to compete for the third spot. We think you could be valuable. I don't think there's any crime in that. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't have any issue in terms of if they wanted to pursue Eric Decker as the third wide receiver spot to compete with the Roger Lewises of the world and the Cody Latimers of the world. Because, see, Latimer, and we talked about Latimer. Latimer, to me, is intriguing, Jason. He doesn't have a great deal of of stock in his resume because he just didn't have the opportunity in Denver. He's mainly mainly a special teams player. I mean, if you look at, we went over on a previous show, he went from playing 3% of the offensive snaps to 17% to 23 to, I think last year was 33%, which is still a very small percentage of all offensive snaps. If he blossomed out to getting a bigger role here with the Giants, who's to say that maybe his production and his targets won't go up? So he's somebody who is already lined up with the first team because of injuries to other guys as they started the offseason phase that I would watch and monitor during the course of training camp. It doesn't mean he's going to win the job, but that's a guy that at least I'm going to be keeping close tabs on. I still think, to your point, there's room for them to bring in a polished veteran, whether it be Eric Decker, whether it be somebody else who perhaps is working out right now, looking to get healthy, and could be ready to go at the start of training camp. That, to me, is the key time to watch because, remember, it's a different position. They brought in Leon Hall about two years ago, right at the start of training camp when they were looking for additional weapons in the secondary, and Leon Hall wound up making the team and becoming a key contributor. So it would not surprise me if they go that route. Okay. Uh, Just one last question. Sure. Um, And I'll get off the air with this one. Uh, Just wondering if if there were any, I think there were, but if there are any offensive linemen uh, that did not get drafted but we have on our team, and if there's anything that you can say about them. Thanks, Lance. You got it. I appreciate the phone call. The Giants haven't officially announced anything with respect to undrafted free agents about who's going to be at rookie minicamp. Normally, they don't reveal that list until probably the day of that rookie minicamp starts. So there's really nobody at this point to comment on. But, you know, once we do get the full roster, we'll certainly address all of those players accordingly on Big Blue Kickoff Live. So it'd be premature right now to get into anyone in particular. With that being said, though, If you look at last year, had a guy named Chad Wheeler, who was an undrafted free agent, wound up making the roster, and actually, you know, started at the end of the year and is going to be now in the mix at the right tackle spot. So it's not somebody that I would dismiss, even if they're an undrafted free agent. However, when you look at the state of the offensive line right now, I think the Giants are in good position in terms of what they're looking at for the starters. The key thing is going to be, how does the depth chart play out? during the course of off-season workouts as they make their way closer to shaping up the 53-man roster. Because if you, for example, take a guy like John Jerry, if John Jerry doesn't secure a starting job, we're just going to go with a hypothetical here, and then John Jerry becomes a backup, you then now have improved your depth chart because you took a starter and you moved him to the bench. Now, I'm just going based on the projections here. If you're looking at Patrick Omame and Will Hernandez, let's say both of them win the starting guard spots. I would not rule out John Jerry, but let's just go with that premise right now. And it remains to be seen whether or not Hernandez is going to be a right guard, Omame is going to be a left guard, or vice versa. They're going to work both of those guys at both spots because they've had experience there. Okay, so Brett Jones at center. We know Nate Solder is your left tackle. And then at right tackle, you're looking at a competition between Eric Flowers, Adam Biznavati, as well as Chad Wheeler. So somebody's going to win that battle. The other two guys that don't win that battle, let's say they make the roster, they're also going to the bench. And all three of those players, Biznavati, Wheeler, and Flowers, have some semblance of starting experience. So you're looking at, before we even get to the undrafted free agents, my point is, in all likelihood, you're looking at the second, third guy on the bench, the swing tackle, however you want to label it. All of those players are probably going to have had starting experience at some point in 2017, which is a lot different 
than what the Giants were looking at in previous years. So that automatically, based on the competition that's going to play out within the starting group, is going to improve the back end of the depth chart. And that's why, you know, you're not going to learn a lot during the course of the non-contact phases of the off-season workouts. You really got to wait till training camp. But during the course of these next few weeks, where guys line up, who gets opportunities, to me, you're still going to take something away to get an idea of well, who's been working with the first team. Where do they feel this guy is comfortable lining up? Because if they're lining him up there in the off-season workout phase without contact, they're probably at least envisioning this is where they want to start out in training camp. So to me, that's something I think to monitor and that you can take away as you watch what transpires during the course of off-season workouts. But no matter what happens with the undrafted free agents on the offensive line, you're still looking at a spot here right now where most of the players who are going to be the backups on the offensive line as we welcome back John Schmelk because he does an unbelievable job coming in and out of the camera picture. I don't know how you do it. Really deserve kudos with respect to that. But what I was just talking about, it was an interesting question. I don't really care what you're talking about. I know That's you don't okay. care, but I'm going to tell you about it anyway <laughs> so you're not lost. Last caller was bringing up about wanting to know some of the undrafted offensive linemen that the Giants may be bringing in. And I said they haven't announced anybody at this point, so there's Correct. no one to talk about. Yes. But what then We I, anxiously await that announcement, by the way, so we can't talk about indeed, it. Indeed. But, but what I transferred the conversation over to is if you just start to look at the starting five, if you just go based on the projections, okay? Mm-hmm. Let's say Omame, Hernandez, Jones, Solder, and then whoever wins the trio battle, what it appears to be at the right tackle spot. Whoever doesn't win a starting job, you're going to have at least two to three guys maybe that win those backup jobs, assuming it's not an undrafted free agent, John, that had starting experience the previous year, which is, to me, a much better position than the Giants were in in at least recent history. Yeah, Jalapio started a game last year. John Jerry, of course, the veteran that has a lot of starting experience. Well, Wheeler, you know, I think Wheeler has a chance to be the starting right tackle. So whether it's Wheeler or Flowers, whoever doesn't will be the back. Or even Biznavati, too, who at the tail end of the season. He started the one game at the end of the year, right? Correct, got in as well. So you're going to look at something with starting experience on your bench. Now, of course, starting experience doesn't mean every, everything. There are guys not. that have started games and still yeah. don't play well, but yes, uh, obviously that that's preferred to a guy that hasn't felt the the, you know, the fire of starting in the NFL yet in the offensive line for sure. Indeed, 2019394513 hashtag Giants chat. Unfortunately, it's the turning point to the program. Charlie is in Portland, Maine. Charlie, what's happening? Hey, Lance. Hey, John. Hi, Charlie. Hey, Charlie. Um, See, we were talking about the hey. offensive line and no surprise, Charlie calls. <laughs> That's right. Stunner, Where shocker. have all the flowers gone? Long time passing. Where have all the flowers gone? Long time ago. Charlie, Man, they're blooming. It's I... springtime. Oh, Come like on. I see. There are flowers all over my yard. I don't know what you're talking about. Charlie with the poetic <laughs> lines here. I don't know why you're talking about like flowers are still on this team because he is officially, but he ain't going to be here. Or if he is here, there's no way he's going to win the competition because the guy can't compete and he doesn't have technique. So I think you should just delete his name, like, way in the back somewhere, maybe mention him for a second, because I don't think he's going to be even close to our right tackle. Hey, hey, hey Charlie, I, I, do me a favor. I want you to send your yeah. resume into Dave Dominic, and maybe he can put <laughs> you in charge of our roster on the website for the rest of the year. Then yes. you can just put the guys <laughs> on true. and off the roster just based on your opinion of them. It doesn't matter if they're here. You can just put whoever on the roster that you want. I think that would go over real well with the front I'm office. Actually, I'm loving this idea, and it has no bearing on the salary cap implications. It's just Charlie gives us the 53-man roster on May 7th. According to him, yes. And that's it. That's and it. we just go by that. Yes. And then if you go to Giants.com and you're, you're wondering, is this guy on the roster it makes no difference and, and, and then even better when you when you know Charlie when you got when the media goes out to the practice to the watch practice you get the roster so they, they won't even know who half the players are on the field on the of 90 men because yeah. they all don't matter according to you I, I think that makes yeah. perfect sense hey I'll, I'll be glad to come down and interview people John that would be wonderful but <laughs> Look, he's campaigning me, uh, to let expand me just say, his role say something about John what you said about Ozzie Newsom Ozzie Newsom is probably one of the best GMs in the last 15 years, if not top three, he's definitely number one or two. And let me ask you, Charlie, Charlie, hold on one second, is, Charlie. Time out. Let, let me ask you something. Okay, if, sure. if, if Ozzie yeah. Newsom's such a great general manager, how's, how, how, how have the Ravens done making the playoffs the last three or four years? He still picks good. 
players over the years. He's picked great players. Does he? I'm like, hold on. I I have a question for you. Um, okay. Do you like Marlon Humphrey? Do you like Tyus Bauer? Do you like Chris Wormley? Well, well, they were their top three picks last year. Neither one of those three guys right. played all that all well. Right. Do you like Do you like Kamale Correa? Their second round yeah, pick in 2016. How about Bronson Kafusi? Do you like him? Well, I could I could pick out some players that he's hit on too. Brashad Perryman has been a great first round pick from 2015. But he's you, worked out real well. See, the problem is you're not naming offensive linemen. Okay, John. Charlie <laughs> exactly. only studies the offensive linemen. He, no, he has no idea who the hell you're that, talking about. Matt Elam was a wonderful first round pick in 2013. Knows, though, is tight end. Does he, he knows tight end? So you have to give him the benefit of the doubt that if he picked two tight ends. He knows these guys can play. Charlie, let me ask you I mean, something. Charlie, position, Charlie, you let know. me ask you something. Um, do you did, did you like Max Williams, a tight end in the second round of 2015 that's barely gotten on the field? Was that a really good pick at tight end? Injuries, but yeah, yeah, it was injuries. It was you know you can't help. See, injuries. I shouldn't have said that. I gave him the bailout. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll keep <laughs> hey, my mouth quiet. Yeah, uh, see that. <laughs> John's you already Charlie now? I know. I should not give any clues to Charlie. <laughs> uh, go ahead, name the next tight end. I'll keep my mouth quiet. So. No, but I mean, just saying that he knows tight ends, so you don't think one of these two tight ends is going to be a good player? I think you've got to give him benefit of the doubt. That, but that, that doesn't mean another player that was on the board isn't a better player. You know what I mean? Yeah, that may be true, but I think uh, Mr. Uh, Ozzie has deserved uh, – the juice and the respect for for being a, a really good general manager. Charlie, many, Charlie, many, you know, many, many years. I, no, no, I, I hear you. I agree. But to me, and I don't want to bring this back this way, but the Ravens have almost taken the same path the Giants have. You know, the Giants won their last Super Bowl in 2011. The Ravens, I believe, won in 2012. Right, Lance? If I'm I'll not bring mistaken. Up, I got their franchise. And not, right and both teams have struggled mightily. Since their last the Super Bowl. The, the Ravens the only made the playoffs once. They lost in the divisional playoffs just like the Giants. So, Charlie, as someone who has been very critical of how the Giants have performed since their last Super Bowl, the Ravens' performance has actually been identical, if not worse, than what the Giants have done since their last Super Bowl. So, I would, as to quote Lance, stop throwing the bouquets and start looking <laughs> at what's actually gone on the last five years. Well, at least uh, at least uh, Ozzy's going out on his uh, own, and he's going out like in style. That was his last draft, and this is his last year. And uh, so I, I, you know, it's nice to see him go out that way. That's fair. But I, agree. I know you're right. You're right. Uh, I mean, you know, they haven't uh, been winning uh, the last couple of years, but they had been in the playoffs. I mean, they played the Patriots tough. They should have beat the Patriots a couple of times in those championship games. Charlie, they've and played field goals. Charlie, they've been kind of they've been in the playoffs once since their last Super yeah, Bowl. Once since 2012. That was once. 2014. So they have now missed the playoffs each of the last three years. Now, granted, and four out of five borderline team in 17. I mean, if they don't have that defensive breakdown against Cincy, they're in on the last game. But Listen, the facts are the facts. They missed the playoffs, and that's the reality right. that we're dealing with. So I, I think to John's point, it's fair to say the Giants and the Ravens, the Giants won in 11, the Ravens won in 12, and both franchises since then have struggled to make the playoffs. And that's the easiest comparison. You know, you, you, you can break down all the details you want. You can look at the draft classes. The bottom line is, since the last Super Bowl, it's been a struggle to get back to the peak. And the both teams have had the same quarterback, too. That's why I think yeah. they're also similar. Flacco and Eli Manning, obviously both of their respective teams. And I think at the same time, both players are probably not playing at the same level as they did the last time the two teams were in the Super Bowl. I'll give you that. The other thing I'll add that I think is a similarity is in the wake of the Super Bowl victories, both teams have had struggles on the offensive line. Yeah, both I teams agree. have had struggles with respect to the running game. The running game, yeah, though, I agree. to me was respectable last year for Baltimore. I actually thought they had a nice one-two punch. It was better last year, it, yes. It took some time. I mean, and part of that was the whole Ray Rice saga, which clearly right, impacted exactly. their running game. But you're, you're seeing similarities between Baltimore and the Giants. I don't think there's vast differences between those teams. And by the way, Charlie, one other thing I'll say real quick. I also believe that Eli Manning, even though he's about three years older, I think, than Flacco, I be in my opinion, I think Eli Manning is a better quarterback than Joe Flacco right now, in oh, my opinion. I totally, totally. Yes. I, I agree with that. And now, and like got now that they've got uh, Mr. Jackson behind Flacco, uh, um, I, you know, I don't think that's going to be, he's going to be feeling too good about it. But, no, uh, I don't think he is either. Know, yeah, you know, that's just that's just the way it is. But uh, the other thing is, I just think, uh, you know, why, why did, I thought maybe it would change with Gettleman that 
why do we always wait to, like, announce anything until, like, a minute before we have to? You know, like, with undrafted free agents, other teams are already saying, yeah, we signed them, we signed him, we signed them. Why do we wait until, like, uh, Friday at, uh, you know, 9 well, Charlie, to announce who's going to be on the field? Listen, I think it's a fair huh? question, but I, I brought this up last week. You have to understand, everybody invited to rookie minicamp, is not on the roster. There are players that are invited to rookie minicamp, and then there are players that are actually signed, right, signed. to be a yeah, part of uh, the yeah. 90. So, so here's the thing. The Giants are not going to announce who just happens to have an invite to rookie minicamp because there's going to be tons of guys that fall in that category. The only formal announcements will be when somebody signs an official contract that actually is right. part of the 90-man roster. So there's a distinct difference between those two. Keep that in mind. And, and no, listen, I agree. I'm not, I'm not, I agree. And I'll, I'll let you continue, Charlie. I'm not keeping track of what every team is doing, but I find it hard to believe that every team is announcing who they formally have invited to rookie minicamp about three or four days in advance. No, I'm talking about actually people they've signed. Signed. Okay, and you I know, get that. And the I get Giants that. have signed some guys right now. They're, they are signed, but we're not hearing about it. You know, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, Why but Troy, I'm not, Troy, honestly, I'm not sure if, you know, the signature's on the paper, to be honest with you. I think there might be agreements in principle, yeah. um, but... I don't. I don't think these guys actually sign the contract till they till show they up come. the day yeah. for rookie minicamp, and I think that's why the wait happens, and that's why they don't. Yeah. Okay. I think we have to say goodbye to Charlie. Well, yeah. I, Charlie's well, apparently trying to call <laughs> call Kevin Agrams and Dave Gettleman. Dave, he can lose them. And yeah, no, he's I'm trying clear, to find I'm out clear. who all the undrafted free yeah. agents are signing. Or, or, or complain. <laughs> why don't you let Lance and John talk about them? <laughs> Oh, hey, we still, we still uh, have hey, Charlie. We can't even get rid of him. Ask him to have a Twitter account so I can tweet him. Oh, and, sure. Absolutely. You know, and, and bounce my ideas That'll be off. his first priority, to hear from Charlie in Portland, Maine. <laughs> Thank you, yeah. Charlie. He'll also, he'll Thanks, also start using it. the hashtag Giants chat just to weigh in so everybody can Well, you see know, it. the funny thing is that Dave will have to get, like, a special, like, Boston English dictionary <laughs> to work properly because if he starts like typing in the words, it'll it'll keep coming up as misspelled and things yeah, like that. His jargon is different. Canabac, things like that. The rest you know? of the jargon, <laughs> yes, for the uh, NFL world. And, and 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 you also need to have Yiddish words approved for it as Correct. well. Yes, Michigana, which he's things teaching like that. Pat yes. Shermer. Because during that press conference, Pat Shermer had to get clarification whether or not that was Yiddish or a different language. I, I actually so. went back and I listened to like. Probably his last four or five press conferences. I'm actually putting a bunch of drops for our board here That's for awesome. the show. Um, I haven't put it on there yet, but boy, it is high comedy. It's great. Yeah, it He's the best. Yeah. And, you know, it just shows what, like a little personality and a smile and just going about your business like you love it and you're having fun. Makes all the difference. In the yeah, world. without a it doubt, it really does. And he also he has some fun at the media's expense, but you can tell it's not coming from a nasty place. No, exactly. It's just he's you know dropping a, a zinger here or there, and they're taking the punches and moving along, which I think adds some more flavor and flair to the press conference. Absolutely, so I'm personally not complaining. All right, let's move along here on the phone lines two zero one nine three nine four five one three. We got David in Connecticut. Dave, welcome aboard. What do you got for us? Hey guys, how we doing? I'm doing good. Uh, so I got a, two questions, comments. Uh, one for uh, Evan Ingram, and I want to talk about Kyle Loletta. Sure. Um, I know you know we lost Brandon Marshall. Uh, obviously, he didn't really perform as well as expected last year. Neither did pretty much everybody on the team. Uh, but we do have a big hole at having a big target wide receiver. And I just look at the roster. I look at Evan Ingram's speed and size, and he'd be better off the number two wide receiver, um, you know, because Dallin, you look at um, Sterling Shepard, they're both, you know, under six foot guys, uh, more of a slot type of body size, you know, where's that out, that outside deep threat? You know, I, I get Evan Ingram, he's okay blocker, but really we've got Rhett Ellison, you know, and, and uh, what, Jarrell Adams, both, Six foot, like five, like two fifty, probably better blockers than uh, Ingram. You maybe see that kind of alignment, you know, change.
change for or position type of change? I would, Dave, England? what I would say is don't obsess over what position is next to their name. Um, talk about okay. the role they're going to play. And I think the minute you just assign Evan Ingram as a wide receiver and you split him out wide on every play, you almost take away the advantage he gets as a tight end. Because if you line him up on the line of scrimmage and he's a threat to be a blocker, you'll get him matched up on a linebacker. You'll get him lined up as a, a, matched up against a safety. And I think that helps him in the offense. Um, I think, and we had this call last week too, I think Evan Ingram's presence as that you know wide tight end gives you what you need from a big receiver, especially in the red zone. Even last year we saw them line up Evan Ingram outside, man-on-man with the smaller cornerback in the red zone where you take advantage of his size. So I think with Shepard, Beckham, Ingram being the big target, whether you have him in the slot or you have him on the line or wherever you line him up, it's fine. I don't think you have a need for your traditional big second wide receiver. Yeah, could maybe Cody Lameter win that job? Sure, but I would just put the guy out there I think is the best player, and you figure it out from there. Because of Evan Ingram and the his ability to create mismatches and his size, I don't think you have to push it trying to find a, a really big wide receiver outside. Yeah, he's versatile enough. You move him around, which we saw last season. So, I mean, I think they're going to continue to do that. And the other thing is, there's nothing stopping the Giants, Dave, from having Ingram on the field and having Ellison on the field. Yeah. I mean, I could see the Giants maybe utilizing more two tight end formations. I given see the a fact, lot of that. Given the fact that also Ellison had experience with Pat Shermer in Minnesota and also one of the other tight ends you didn't mention, Kyle Carter, was also signed, who also was with Shermer in Minnesota. So he's got two Vikings tight ends that have familiarity with the system. So when you take that into consideration, it wouldn't surprise me if one of two of those guys is a blocker and then that frees up Ingram for lining up in a variety of spots. You just want to get the best talent on the field. It it makes no difference whether or not it's two small wide receivers and a tight end, two big tight ends and one wide receiver. Just get the best talent on the field. And you use Ellison as a fullback too. Yep, it's another option. And I I agree with all that. I think Eli, in his past, is at his best when he has a bigger target on the outside at times. So if they line... Ingram out there at times, mix and match. You know, I think that's great. You know, here's the thing, um, though, Dave. Real quick, they haven't had a big target outside since Plexico Burris. I mean, right. I mean, that's, I mean, I think he was at his best. Yeah, yeah, but no, I see. I think Eli Manning's best every year was 2011. When his two with his two receivers was Akeem Nix and Victor Cruz. Akeem Nix was six one. Victor Cruz was five eleven, okay. six foot. And and I thought Eli had his best year. Anyway, details, details, not that important. What's your second point? Uh, second point, uh, Kyle Walletta. Um I don't know if you guys have seen. There's like a like a website or video with Kirk Cousins on some type of like not Natty Ice, but some type of like Vita Ice uh, promo. Have you seen? It's like about 30 minutes of video of Kyle Aletta with Kirk Cousins, and uh, it, I gained a lot of respect for both both those guys. Uh, the work ethic and intellect and drive from Kirk, and you know the the follow up and, and intellect. Uh, and passion from uh, Wallet. If you haven't seen it, um, definitely go and watch it. It's really uh, unbelievable. Uh, I think it was leading up to the draft for them. But you know, I, when I was coming up to the draft, I I thought at number two, you know, if Darnold was there, I you know, like John, I I was a fan of Darnold. Obviously, I love Saquon too, so I'm not unhappy. But um, I think drafting Wallet in the fourth round was an extremely smart pick because I think the value of a quarterback. You know, look at the draft. You, you can take a wide, you know, certain positions they appreciate in value, but a quarterback only appreciates in value. And I love Davis Webb too. I think great character, good uh, skill set. But in the fourth round, we're looking at a guy who, whether he starts or not, is going to inherit maybe second round value if he performs in the preseason or something like that. And if you look at what the Patriots did with Garoppolo Brissett, they get value by showing off some quality backup quarterbacks and whether they use them or not, getting something back in return. So I just want to bring up that point and see what you guys felt about hey, that. Hey, hey, Dave, real quick before you let you go, is it a video of Cousins and Loletta on the field working out together or is it more just like a conversation between the two? No, it's 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 at like Kirk Cousins' like California house and he's kind of like, hey, if you work hard enough, you succeed, you can have all this, like sitting out uh, on you. the edge of the bay. It's actually, but it's like thir- it's like five different, like five minute videos okay. in sequential order. But I'll check it out for any fan, any fan or like out there. I think they also sit down with like a few other uh, quarterbacks coming into the draft. Um, but it's, I mean, really insightful. Awesome. Um, going over plays, going over what it takes to succeed. Uh, when I found found it, I was like, wow, this is really cool. So definitely check it out. I'll check it out, Dave. Thanks for the call, man. All Appreciate right, it. All right. 
Um, as to his point about Loletta, um, quarterbacks don't always appreciate in value. Remember that. It doesn't happen it all varies. the time. Yeah. I mean, perfect example, you brought it up before, Ryan Nassib is a guy who at some point looked like he might have been able to break through and then it kind of, you know, flitted away, whether it was injury or whatever. So, again, the trick is, you know, he says, if Kyle Loletta plays in the preseason and performs well, well, that's an if. You know, there's no guarantee that's going to happen. Um, I watched about three of his games, Lance, last week in, in preparation um, to talk to his head coach, um, Russ Huseman, last week. And I really think the scouting reports on him are really dead on, to be honest with you. A really accurate middle, intermediate, short, middle of the field. Um, doesn't need the big arm because he anticipates so well. Guys aren't even at the top of their route, and he's – Letting the ball go, the guy breaks and he times it perfectly. It's, it's really phenomenal. Um, moves around fairly well, but I and I like we talked to a guy last week. I'm not sure if you were with us or not. Um, they talked about how maybe on some of the deep stuff he suffers accuracy yeah. wise, and I, I saw that. And I saw a couple plays outside the numbers trying to push the ball down the field. Maybe he didn't have quite enough arm. So I, to me, after watching him on tape for three or four games, I think the scouting report dead on. And the other thing I'll add, and it'll, I would never say this to Paul here, because I think he might throw me down and choke me to death, but coming out of school, I think he's more ready to play the NFL game than Davis Webb in terms of what he was asked to do in his last couple of years in college. Um, I saw more NFL-style route yeah. concepts and you know things of that nature. Um, he played under center in his first couple years in college before they changed uh, head coach at Richmond. And he actually had four different offensive coordinators. So him and Weber are similar that way in that he kind of moved around a lot, had different had different uh, offensive coordinators. But um, Webb more gifted physically, better tools. Um, I don't know what Lolette is like off the field. I know Webb is tremendous in terms of a character guy, hardworking. Um, but I think in terms of the process of playing quarterback and the offense and things like that, I think Loletta probably did more NFL-type things in college than Davis Webb did. No, I think that's fair. I actually, the other day on my serious show, I spoke to John Garrett, who's Jason Garrett's brother, who was the offensive coordinator at Richmond yep. in 2016, and you know he spoke very highly of his intellect. And that's what I've been hearing from a lot of people. That's not to say that Davis Webb's not a smart guy. It's the same thing they say about Davis Webb. But John Garrett, the reason I bring that up to compliment your point about him running pro-style ready offenses is because John Garrett was a longtime coach in the NFL. He was tight end coach for the Cowboys. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And he was also an assistant with the Bengals. And he was the wide receiver coach for the Bucs. So if you have an offensive coordinator who has been around NFL offenses, he's probably going to ask his college quarterbacks to take on some of that responsibility. And, you know, the term that he used, he said that he had a photographic memory is how he described Kyle Loletta's intellect, where you told the guy once and then he'd give him a clean board and have him set up a play and would not miss a beat. So, you know, the intellect is what I'm hearing a lot about in terms of the off-the-field concepts. But it's the same thing in terms of the accuracy there, got to work on the deep ball. Most people have had a very similar scouting report, and and I think that is reflected on the film. And both of these guys are going to have an opportunity to compete. I mean, as far as the Colders' point, you could find fourth-round picks that have panned out very well in the NFL, and then you could have find fourth-round picks that have not panned out. A lot of it is opportunity, and, you know, he brought up Jimmy Garoppolo and Jacoby Brissett. Remember, both of those players got into regular season games. So the Patriots were able to bring their stocks up as a result of teams seeing what they did in regular season games as opposed to you just throwing a quarterback out there, John, for a preseason snap or two. Garoppolo, what, one regular season game he got into or two? Did they rest Brady at the end of the year? Because I know Brissett got in, obviously, because of the suspension. When Brady got suspended yes, for the flake Yes, but got banged up, if you remember. Right. And then I think Jimmy did two games, if I'm correct. Oh, no, wait a second. Or did Jimmy play the first game and then he got hurt with the Do concussion, right? Did he reversed. get a concussion? Is that what he got? He got something, and that and, and then Brissett, I think he played. It was definitely, the, the two of them split the four games. Correct. I think Brissett played in three of them, though. Because remember, he had to turn around and play on a Thursday. Very right. quickly after yes. the Garoppolo that was, injury. And they, they basically revamped the entire offense to accommodate yeah. Brissett. And obviously Garoppolo here, got here a ton go. of playing time Garoppolo in the Garoppolo sprained his AC joint okay, in shoulder. two against the Dolphins. Okay, so he played two games so then. So that's then when Brissett, Brissett played in. two. Well, actually, yeah. no, but did Brady get suspended four or six games? He got four. Four, so it was Brady two and two. Yeah. Okay, there we go. So they had an opportunity to showcase both of them, and that's another reason why I think, obviously, they were able to trade both of them. Also, Garoppolo 
and this is just my opinion, I believe there was a lot more hype surrounding him entering the draft than there was Kyle Laletta. I know Kyle Laletta and Jimmy Garoppolo have been compared as guys that didn't go in the first round that have a lot of upside, but to me, you were hearing a lot more about Jimmy G and his upside than you were in terms of Kyle Laletta, regardless of what Laletta accomplished at the Senior Bowl. Yes, I think that's probably true. I agree with you. All right, let's head back to the phone lines as we move along with the conversation. Coach Marvin is in Delaware. Coach Marvin, what's happening? Uh, how you doing, John and Lance? Hi, Coach. Right. What do you got for us? How you doing? Uh, real quick, uh, I was thinking about the uh, Barkley um, pick and uh, what the how this team could create. Hopefully they will. Um, out of that 12 personnel, you're looking at the things they can do out of that uh, out of that personnel that they bring in. If it's 12 personnel, you got someone like Ingram you can put in the slot. Um, also, Ingram you can put on the outside and move Beckham and Barkley to the backfield as long as they're in the shotgun. You ain't going to want Beckham blocking any blitzers. But there's a, there's a lot of mix of that 12 personnel I think they'll be able to do, and hopefully they'll utilize that similar to the way the Patriots did it in their years of uh, 12 personnel. Yeah, we agree. So, yeah, two tight ends. I, I, I believe that you'll get a lot of mismatches out of that uh, out of that grouping because how are the defense going to come in? Are they going to come in with their base? Are they going to come in with a nickel? And you got two tight ends. Normally, looking at it, they come in with uh, with their base. So I, I think they can create a lot of mismatches out of that formation. So hopefully, they get creative with that uh, this season. So I think they will. Um, the other thing I want to say is uh, I think his name is Charlie from Maine. He made a statement uh, not too long ago that uh, he he knows for sure that the Giants had signed some. Uh, undrafted free agents, but then in the same statement he says why they don't announce it. And my question is, how did he know they signed them if they never announced it? So uh, well, you know, was, well, you know, you know, Coach Marvin, how it goes. There are reports online that are yeah. unverified, unconfirmed, and you know, fans read them and then they think it, it's official. But I want to go back earlier this year. There was a player at free agency who had agreed to terms with somebody, and then when free agency started, uh, the team rescinded the contract. On the claim of bad physical, do you remember the the player I'm talking yeah. about? I'm yeah, trying to remember yeah, the team. Yeah. And it, I, I, right. That happened this year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And well, I can't I'll, remember the player. But, but I'll give you it's another one. I think it was a wide receiver. I, I think it was a wide receiver. Re-signed with. The Ravens signed with someone else. Maybe. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, it, it, it was it, a receiver. I think he went to Chicago. I believe. I, I know what you're talking about. Though. You know what? It was a four. Oh, no, well, I'll give you an example. It was there was a deal that Bashad Breeland, the Redskins' corner, had set up. Yeah, his physical was failed. And then they rescinded right. that deal. And then I think there was another former Redskin that had a similar deal with some other team. And also oh, that deal was, was rescinded. Was it Grant? Ryan Grant, the May wide receiver? It Ryan Grant with Baltimore. That yeah, was it. That's Ryan what Grant it, right? Yeah, that's right. And I forget who Breland yeah. was talking to. That's but right. both of those players had deals that were rescinded. And I'll give you another example. Frank Gore, if you remember, had an agreement with the Eagles yep. and then turned around and then wound up going to the Colts. So that's another right. reason why teams wait. To make anything official until the name is signed back. on the dotted line. Carlos Boozer with the Cavs and the Jazz. There we go. You want to go NBA. Yeah. Verbal commitments don't mean yeah. anything. Yeah. Right. And I agree. You just got to sit and wait until this thing is final and don't read too much into what you're reading. Way to go. Um, and my last statement is uh, he also said something about flowers, and he's not the only one. I mean, he's a passionate fan, so I don't discredit Charlie for that. He's passionate. A little bit over the top for me, but I, I <laughs> you're not the only one. like him. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and um, he was talking about Flowers, throwing them on the back end. I, as a coach, Flowers is, I mean, he, he probably haven't proven anything. Well, he, he, he's improved that the season's gone, not to the degree we want, but he, he has improved. And my thing is, this is the perfect time. He has to get somebody to motivate him. Everybody's motivated differently. He, he's been threatened right now. His career's been threatened. And maybe that will set the fire. My thing is, bring him in. And I would, if it was me, I would be talking to him, but I would let him know if he's angry, that's what I want him to be. I want him to come into this camp angry and proving to people that he deserves to be here. Sometimes that turns players around, and uh, I think that's what uh, that that's why you need to bring him in and and give him a chance. I I, I don't believe in just letting this guy go. They own him. If he doesn't make the team, you cut him. But uh, I think you can use this 
uh, in his advantage. Yeah, thank so. you, Coach. Appreciate the call, my yeah. friend. Good Appreciate stuff. And, and I'm with Coach Marvin there. I would not have the urgency to get rid of a player, you know, whether or not he's high on the list of guys that you're into or he's low on the list because there's no crime in having another player with starting experience who was your left tackle come in and compete and then let the best man win. If you don't think he's part of the best 53, you move on from him. But we're way too early at this point to say get rid of a player when you have a 90-man roster. So I, I don't see any harm in allowing him and having the invitation for him to come in to training camp and compete for the right tackle job. He wins it, great. If he doesn't, then you determine what you want to do with him. And I have a good tweet. I want to try to get to him at hashtag Giants Chat from Perunga Salzer. Um, how would Eric Flowers be any better on the right side? And I know Lance and I, are, I think we're in uh, conjunction on this. Um, in terms of a lot of people still believe you can just go put this – guy on the right side at right tackle and you can hide him and oh you don't have to deal with great players on the right side and oh you know he might not be good to play left but he can play right tackle folks and and I'm, again I'm happy I'm saying this when Paul's not here you, there's really no difference anymore in, in, in my opinion you're going to face just as many great, great pass rushers playing right tackle as you are playing left tackle alright I should have did the opposite there I did wrong hands yes. but uh, <laughs> well you've been in and out on yes, the show so there, are, there, there are great pass rushers at both sides. I mean, just look at the teams in the Giants division. Ryan Kerrigan's the Redskins' best defensive lineman. Where does he play? Over the right tackle. Demarcus Lawrence is the Cowboys' best pass rusher. Where does he play? Over the right tackle. Brandon Graham is the Re- is the Eagles' best pass rusher. Where does he play most of his snaps? Over the right tackle. Von Miller, Khalil Mack, J.J. Watt. Go down the freaking list, okay? Yeah. They're all over the right tackle. And... It might even be tougher because it's been so, so long since he's played right tackle. So he's got to swap, swap his footwork all the way around. So, guys, this is going to be a very difficult transition, and hopefully when he gets here, he'll work on it and he'll be able to play well there. But there are no guarantees. Yeah, he hasn't played right since Miami. So Freshman year in Miami. Years, yeah, and then on top of the college years that he has since moved to left tackle. And even if most people feel he's a better run blocker, meaning he could be effective on the right side. I get that. I've heard that a lot. He's still going to have to pass protect on the right side. Is he coming out of the game on third and eight all of a sudden? So so it's not like you just say, okay, just block so that we can run the football off your edge. No. Then on third downs, they're going to throw the wolves at you, and you got to be in position to take care of business. It's my same argument for DJ Fluker. And, you know, again, Paul would yell at me. You know, we saw two games at the end of last year, Fluker get beat on stunts, and Eli Manning got sacked, fumbled the ball, and the game was over. Single-handedly short-circuited two two two-minute drills because he didn't know how to handle a stunt. All right? Yeah, I get it. He knocks people down in the run game. It's fun. Guess what? If you can't pass protect in this league, you can't play. It's that simple. You become a liability. You have to protect the quarterback. Period. Let's get to our final caller. Scott's in New Mexico. Scott, what's happening? Hi, guys. How are you doing? Hey, Scott. I must be the eternal optimist because I think the Giants are going to win the Super Bowl this year. Well, Scott, you're a fan. You should think that way. (laughs) Okay. But in order to do that, you have to have the credentials. And I was curious, uh, as the draft is now over and free agency is basically over, I wanted to get your opinion on how the Giants stack up with the rest of the division, Dallas, Washington, Philadelphia. Do you think... They're on par, or do they still have the weaknesses against those other teams, or well, look, uh, do the Giants can, can the Giants hold their own against uh, those other teams in the division? Look, I, I think you have to tip your cat to Philly. Uh, they're the Super Bowl champions. They haven't lost really that many key essential players from that roster, and they're getting a Marcus Peters back this year at 100, percent which will certainly help as as their starting left tackle. So um, I think you have Jason to tip Peters, your. I, what I say, Marcus Peters, the corner, yeah, cornerback. Yeah, I'm sorry, Jason, yeah. Jason Peters, yeah. the uh, left tackle. Um, I think you have to tip your cap to the Eagles and kind of give them the the early favorite push. Um, I would put the Giants on a similar level as the Cowboys as the team I think will probably be you know, in that 500 area. If you play well, maybe you go 10-6. and six. If you don't play so well, maybe you go 7-9 and nine or 8-8. Eight and eight. I put them and those two teams in the same category. And I'll be interested to see what the Redskins do this year because to me they're a little bit of a wild card. They have a new quarterback. The head coach is still there, obviously. Um, 
We'll see how Darius guys can transform that running game. They have a good offensive line. I worry about their receivers, and you know Jordan Reed's always hurt at tight end. Their defense has struggled over the years, but they're adding more pieces. I think the Redskins are a bit of a wild card, but I think the Giants are right there with Dallas, with Washington, and I, again, just out of respect is of how well they did last year. I think you got to put them all kind of a notch below Philadelphia at this point. But it's the NFL; anything can happen. Yeah, uh, Philadelphia has the best defensive line in the NFC East. I mean, personally, I don't think it's close with any of those other teams. I agree. Uh, Philadelphia, Especially pass rush-wise. Yeah, I mean, they've yeah. got a tremendous amount of depth, John. You know, and then they added Holodi Nada this offseason. So, you know, he can rotate Jim Schwartz just about anybody he wants, and that's exactly what Dave Gettleman was emphasizing. And, you know, I, I think their secondary also is going to improve because, you know, one of the corners they drafted last year did not play. Out of Washington. Okay, yep. and then, you know, you still have Malcolm Jenkins in the mix. I love their linebacking core. You'd be very hard-pressed to tell me that another defense, as it stands right now, matches the experience and the depth that Philadelphia has. As far as the offense goes... I see a lot of question marks with the three teams outside of Philadelphia. I think Washington, you laid out a few things. I would add, you know, their running game. What happens with the running game this year for Washington? Yeah, we'll see what guys. You yeah. know, and then Samaj P. Ryan, who's still very much in the mix. What what happens with him? Chris Thompson's got to come back fully healthy, who, remember, is a huge part of their running game and their receiving game. So I, I want to see what transpires there. Dallas, you know, their defense is always a big question mark. You know, is this the year that that young secondary takes the next Step. They have a lot of young guys on defense. Correct. It's going to be important for them at all levels to improve internally because they didn't bring in a lot of new guys from no, the they outside. That's in fact, why it's got to grow. They exactly. lost Anthony Hitchens, a very good linebacker. So significant loss. Yeah, they're going to really need their young guys on defense. Yeah, and then you know the, the other thing with Dallas is their wide receivers. Their wide receivers. Ooh. You know they brought in Allen Hearns and then they pretty much have Terrence Williams and Cole Beasley. No Dez anymore. You know, Zeke's going to come back from the suspension. Also, I thought the offensive line when Tyron Smith got hurt struggled because they didn't really have. Great depth. Now they have Cameron Fleming, now which helps. You bring and you also drafted Connor Williams. Yep. So you know, let's see what those two guys do in the event they have to step in. Like I said, I, I think Philadelphia is here. Yeah. And, and for those of you not watching, I'm holding my hand up high. And then I think right well, below Philadelphia, as high as you can lift. Yes. Your hand well, up, I can only okay, get so yeah. high. You can get much higher. <laughs> I, I have my limitations. Uh, yes, I think that's sorry. The I had to. No, that's fine. I'll play along. No, I'll give you the zinger on that one. And then you know, behind them, I, I really yeah. think the Giants and the Cowboys and the Redskins are all in I this agree. one big pack. And, and, you know, you're going to give one team an edge here or there based on one facet of their team, but I don't think there's a huge disparity between those other three. Okay. Uh, uh, just final question. I'll take it off the air. Uh, would you say that the Rams right now are pretty much a lock to get into the Super Bowl? Or no. Am I, am I looking at it, no. uh, you know, with the changes they made, uh, not – not necessarily uh, the team to, to get there. Thanks, Thanks Scott. Guys. I'll take it off. Appreciate the, the call. Right, I think the NFC this year is one of the stronger top-to-bottom conferences I've seen in maybe a decade. I could see the Rams going to the Super Bowl. I could obviously see the Eagles going to the Super Bowl. I could see the Saints making a run to the Super Bowl. I could see the Vikings making a run to the Super Bowl. I could see the the Falcons making a run to the Super Bowl. And those are five teams where if you told me any one of those five teams made the Super Bowl, I wouldn't be surprised one bit. That's five teams. And the Giants have a shot. The Cowboys are one year off of 13-3. and They have a shot. The the Giants are one year off 11-5. and Um... The Panthers won 11 games last year. I didn't even include them in this. Yeah, Carolina. I didn't include Aaron Rodgers and the Packers in this either. They're damn good. Oh, and by the way, how about that other team in the NFC West that's also pretty good? No, I'm not talking about the Seattle Seahawks. I'm not talking about the San Francisco 49ers. You know, they, they're they just good teams all across this conference, Lance. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And frankly... I think this year, to win the wild card in the NFC, I think it's minimum 10 games. You might need 11. Yeah, I guess you're referring to the Cardinals, I'm assuming. That was the team that you were no, referring actually, to. No, actually. named just about everybody. Actually, I lost you. I, I ran out of teams. <laughs> I made a mistake. Okay. I 
<laughs> meant the Rams, which is why I kind of just tried to skate okay. past that. Thank <laughs> well, you for calling well, it out, though. I, I appreciate to, it. I was like, wait a minute, which team? I'm sorry. No, because <laughs> I, I, I thought teams. I thought you were going the route because uh, I, I think San Francisco's a dangerous team. I think they're dangerous. I and, and I'm not just saying it because of Jimmy Garoppolo. I like some of the free agents they added. I worry about their defense. I think their offense will defense be good. I think their young. defense is, uh, might struggle well, a little bit. Well, the one concern I have for the Niners is I don't mind their front seven. It's the secondary, which was an absolute mess last season. Agree 100%. What happens with the secondary? Uh-huh. Let's see what happens there, but the Niners, I still think, are good to be that 9-7 and seven team, potentially, Yeah, where maybe they're knocking on the door of the wild card, but what I think you spelled out, and I would agree with you, you can make a case that every single one of those divisions is 3-4 to four deep, which means you're essentially making a case for just about every team in the division. And the Lions have won nine games the last couple exactly. years, too. Exactly. So, you know, most years, you're normally saying in the West, you know, it's the Seahawks and the Cardinals, the Rams and the Niners have had issues. Mm-hmm. In the South, you know, the Saints have had defensive troubles. The Bucks, it's been hard to take them seriously. In the North, you know, the Bears have been trying to rebuild, and the Lions have been inconsistent. And in the East, listen, all you need to do is look at the last time a team won back-to-back division titles in the NFC East. Okay. Yes. The Eagles in the early 2000s. So that's the answer right there. And I'll put it this way. And this is the last thing before you say goodbye because you all want to get to lunch. Out of all the teams in the NFC, all right, which ones would you be confident in saying, I really believe this team's going to have a top 10 pick in the draft next year? It's a good question. Bears. Bears, I, I, I could throw out there. That perhaps there's still another year or two away. Like, would it shock you if the Bucks won seven and nine no, and picked like thirteenth? Bucks have a lot of talent on that team. I agree. So I think you're looking at Chicago. Um, I'd be surprised if the Redskins were picking top ten. I think they have a good enough team with Alex Smith to pick outside the top ten. So what? Maybe the Seahawks, but Russell Wilson's still there. I didn't mention him, Russell Wilson. Yeah, he's a top five quarterback in the damn league. So I mean, you're looking at what two teams that you maybe think could be in the top 10 next year in terms of picks. I'm telling you, this is a damn good conference. And the Giants have the work cut out for them to win enough games. To, and they got to play the NFC South, which South, to me is correct. the best division in all football. So, yep. I mean, it's it, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, it will be. And, and we'll get a better idea as we see what happens in training camp and see how the depth charts pan out yeah. as well as the rosters. And, of course, health. Health. Well, that's what I said. That's, that's the wild card. Yep. That's always the X factor. Mm-hmm. And that's why we were talking earlier about Des Bryant could very well have an opportunity simply because of an injury that nobody expected. All right, that's going to wrap up Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Certainly appreciate everybody for tuning in. Back up and running tomorrow, noon Eastern, for our latest edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live as we continue to get you set for rookie minicamp. For John Schmelk, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Monday right here on Giants.com. Have a good one. Have a good one.